Welcome, my name is Craig Thompson. I don't know if I introduced myself earlier. I'm senior pastor here and it is my privilege and our privilege to have you all here with us, especially if you're a guest. Great day to be with you in the house of the Lord today. Wow, just realized I have the wrong set of notes open because it told me to tell you Happy Father's Day. We are so glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, just a couple of announcements I would like to mention before we jump into our uh, sermon this morning. There is a Next Steps class this afternoon at 4 o'clock. If you've been visiting with us one time or two times or eight times or a hundred times and you're curious about what it might look like to be a member here at Malvern Hill, uh, I would love to meet with you and talk with you about that this afternoon. Uh, we'll, I'll meet you right here in the sanctuary about 4 o'clock this afternoon and we'll go into, a, there's a little classroom over there that we will meet in, but I'll meet you in here so it's easier to find me. So at uh, 4 o'clock this afternoon, if you have not registered or planned ahead for that, that's fine. We would love to have you regardless. Um, the other thing I want to mention, by the way, we're in Acts chapter 8 this morning, if you can go ahead and start turning. Uh, next Sunday, uh, we have a brand new life group that we'll be starting. Um, we, we try to multiply our life groups pretty regularly. As a matter of fact, there's so many of y'all showing up in life groups, we have to continue to uh, multiply a little more quickly now than we had anticipated because uh, God's blessed us in so many ways. But uh, we are very excited to have another life group launching next week. Hope that you'll be praying about that. And I just want to remind you, as I mentioned that, that life group is such an integral and important part of who we are as a church body. Uh, if you are with us and have not found a life group where you could visit or that you could join, uh, ask somebody around you. They'll probably invite you to come with them to theirs. Uh, or uh, see Pastor Kevin. He's the guy that stands up here with the guitar every Sunday morning. He oversees our life groups, our staff person. He would be happy to help you figure out uh, where you could get plugged in in a life group. Hey, and we want to encourage you. Maybe, maybe you've got to visit one or two or three before you find the place where you feel like you fit in. That's okay, too. Don't feel like if you show up somewhere that you've got to stay there. If you didn't like them, maybe they didn't like you either. So just move on. <laughs> just kidding. They probably liked you, but uh, everybody understands it. We just want to encourage you to do that. All right, hopefully by now you've made it to Acts chapter 8. If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, let me just help you. Acts is in the New Testament. Um, so you, you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. If you find yourself in Romans or the Corinthians, you've gone a little bit too far. We have been in the book of Acts now for a number of weeks. We're going to take a break in Acts for the month of July, and then we'll pick back up in Acts beginning in August. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. We're going to read a pretty long section of Scripture this morning, beginning in Acts chapter 8, verse 9, and all the way through Acts chapter 8, verse 25. Hear now, for this is God's Word. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, 
he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Let's pray together. Father God, please work in us, among us, and through us this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit about whom we will learn would be present and active among us, Lord God. Showing us the glory of, your, of God. Showing us our own sin and the hope that we have because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Change us today, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. You ever had one of those cases of mistaken identity? Um, we have uh, several of those that take place in our lives. Um, my son Wyatt and Logan Freeman, both of whom are members here, have been best friends since they were wee little lads, as they would say in um, uh, in the um, uh, in Scotland or Ireland or wherever. But they were little guys, three years old. Uh, what's really odd is that um, my my wife Angela and, and and Teresa Calvin don't look much alike, and yet they get mistaken for one another over and over and over again. Uh, it's been common through the years that they'd show up somewhere to pick up their child and have the other child delivered to them, and then they'd have to stand there and wait and keep that kid until the other one showed up. Um, when I was in high school, uh, in elementary school and middle school, I went through most of my school career with another kid named Craig Thompson. He and I were often called to the office or other places, and we'd both show up and figure out which one was supposed to be there. Um, we have... Uh, probably my most embarrassing case of mistaken identity, though, came many years ago now. Angela and I were invited to someone's house, and uh, there we were. We, we didn't know the other people who were there. and We were standing around, and um, I reached across to put my arm around Angela, who was standing beside me, only to discover that it wasn't Angela at all. That one of the people who was there that I did not know was about Angela's size with brown hair and uh, all the things. And out of my periphery, because I thought that Angela was there, I just assumed that it was Angela. And I reached around and, whoa, that was really, really weird and awkward. <laughs> We've all had those sort of cases of mistaken identity. And for me, the worst one is still yet to be told. My wife is regularly mistaken for my daughter. <laughs> right? I get so tired of showing pictures and they go, you have five children. And I say, no, I'm not that old. We all have those mistaken identity situations. When we think about what the Holy Spirit does, a lot of times we have a mistaken understanding of who the Holy Spirit is or what the Holy Spirit does. This morning, as we look at this, uh, what, what can be a really complicated and complex recounting of God's arrival through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's arrival in Samaria, 
I hope that we can walk away having cleared some of that confusion up, and then we can all have a greater understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. I want to give you a little background before we jump into. So the meat of where we will be is going to be in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through about verse 24. Um, but let's give a little background that leads us into this. So we, we begin with this story about a man named Simon. Simon, the Bible says, was a magician who claimed to be a deity. Uh, now, if you didn't pick up on that, work with me. It says, There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and had amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. So look, this is a guy walking around going, Yo, I'm a pretty great guy. Right? Look at me. I'm a big deal. But you keep reading in verse 10. It says, They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man it is the power of God that is called great. Do you see that that's even capitalized in your Bibles? The Bible wants us to understand that what Simon, we call him Simon the magician, what he was doing was claiming to be a god himself, or at least a representative of the gods. He was doing great things, and as a result of that, people honored him. They were amazed by him until something happened. And what happened is that Philip showed up. And when Philip showed up in Samaria, the Holy Spirit stole Simon's thunder. You see, Simon, it turns out, was a pretty good counterfeit. But that counterfeit couldn't stand up under the weight of the power of God. Simon claimed to be a representative of a God, but that representative fell far short of the experience that people had when they encountered the true and living God that was preached by Philip. No longer were people held captive under Simon's magic. Instead, they were being set free by the gospel. We sometimes refer to these as power encounters. That the Holy Spirit of God showed up and there was a struggle in this city. A struggle between darkness and light. And what we see is that the light overcame the darkness. It is in, 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 on the back end of that that we, we pick up kind of where we'll be with the majority of our Sermon. The Bible says in verse 13, Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. When the Holy Spirit of God shows up, you will be amazed. The Holy Spirit of God can do things that you would never anticipate or expect. God moves in ways that will blow your mind. So that's a background story, but this morning I want to really wrestle with the question, what does the Holy Spirit do? Kind of, what does it do? What, who is the Holy Spirit? So the first thing we see this morning is the, the Holy Spirit gives evidence of salvation. The Holy Spirit gives evidence of salvation. Now, what we have happen is we've got that, um, and we're going to see this in just a, a little bit in more detail, but keep in mind that we've got Peter and John who have come down from Jerusalem. They came down from Jerusalem, and in a minute we're going to explain why I believe they came. But they came from Jerusalem, and they saw what was going on. The Bible says that once they came down, they recognized that they had not seen the Holy Spirit. And so they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for He had not yet fallen on any of them. And in verse 16, they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Folks, the first thing I want you to see this morning is that the Holy Spirit gives evidence of salvation. The Holy Spirit, when you are saved, the Holy Spirit 
enters your soul, the Holy Spirit changes you, and the Holy Spirit gives evidence of your salvation. Now, what kind of evidence does the Holy Spirit give? The first thing the Holy Spirit gives us is an internal evidence by making us feel saved. By making us feel saved. Now, I want to be careful. These aren't necessarily chronological, okay? There's going to be times in your life when you don't feel saved, but you still are. But one of the promises we have in Romans 8, 16, for instance, is that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, we don't focus too much on subjective truths, but the Bible doesn't shy away from them. Now, the Bible doesn't rely only on subjective truth, right? Because even when I don't feel saved, I can run to Romans chapter 10 that tells me what? That if I call upon the name of the Lord, I will be saved. For 1 John 1, 9, that says, If I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Even when I don't feel saved, I have the objective truths of God's word that remind me that I am saved. But we need to be confident, we need to be grateful and thankful that the Holy Spirit gives us the subjective experience, the emotional joy, the feeling of being saved. God makes us feel like his kids. Any of you ever wake up, Buster and I talk about this occasionally, we talked about this just a few weeks ago, I walked outside, it was a Sunday morning, I remember it, I walked outside and I was leaving to come here and usually on Sundays there's nobody awake when I leave the house, that's why I sometimes show up in wrinkled shirts because nobody's there when I get dressed and leave. Um, But I I walked out and I was getting in my truck and as as I walked out the front door of my house, I said, man, this is is my house, that's kind of crazy. These are my vehicles. That's kind of insane. And, and there's a wife in there and four children. Who in their right mind trusted me to do all of that? You ever been there? Some of y'all that are not old enough don't appreciate yet. You're going to be 40 one day, and you're going to remember that 18 was just like 27 days ago, and you're not entirely sure how you got there. You're not sure how it is, right? Sometimes you don't feel it. It's weird. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't just give us the objective things. though. He helps us to feel like His children. What a privilege that God says, I want you to feel welcome. I want you to feel like you're at home. Remember in John 14, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and that where I am, you may be also. I talk about this in funerals a lot. It's my favorite passage to go to in funerals. If you've been to funerals that I preach, most of the time I say this in relation to that. That Jesus said that he was going to take us to his father's house. The Bet Ab in Hebrew. Right? Jesus said, where I am, you may be also. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But where I am, I want you to come and be with me. I want you to be in my house with me. Jesus didn't say, I want you to go to the, the hotel down on the corner. He said, when you come to my house, I want you to be at my house. I want to be with you. The Holy Spirit gives us that subjective feeling, that experience that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit to make us feel like we belong to God. Our feelings can lie, so we don't lean on them alone, do we? But what a privilege it is in those days when you feel it, when it feels so good. But because our feelings can lie, we've got to lean on the objective truths of God's Word as well. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Do you understand? There are going to be days when it all feels good, and there are going to be other days when it feels a little bit wonky. 
But man, we celebrate those sweet spots. So the Holy Spirit gives us internal evidence by making us feel saved. But watch, the Holy Spirit also gives us external evidence by making us look saved. Look like Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we ought also to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification, that's, what does sanctification mean? That means he's making us into his image. He's making us more like him. Through sanctification in the spirit and belief in the truth. Okay? So the Holy Spirit gives evidence. The disciples showed up in Jerusalem. They said, the Holy Spirit isn't here. Boom! We're going to lay hands because the Holy Spirit is the evidence. It's the guarantee of your faith. So we've got the internal and the, and, and the external. But watch, it's not just, we don't just end there. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Watch Galatians 5, 22 through 23. I quote the fruit of the Spirit all the time. I'm going to give it to you again this morning. And, uh, uh, nope, nope, I'm not going to read it there because I wrote the wrong thing down. But what does the fruit of the Spirit say? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. You can find that, underline that in your Bible if it's not there. The process of sanctification helps us to feel saved by giving us external evidence that makes us look saved. Folks, if you belong to Jesus, over time, you should begin to look like Jesus. The story of our family is a story of of adoption. We've got a couple of our children who were adopted. Over time, guess what? It didn't take too long before they started to look like everybody else in our family. We dress the same way, we talk the same way, we listen to the same kind of music, we tell the same terrible jokes. We do a lot of things the same way because over time, listen, when the Holy Spirit of God comes into your life and invades your heart and captures you, He begins to mold you, to shape you. Over time, you're going to look more like Jesus. Folks, do you want evidence for your salvation? Here's one of them. If you belong to Christ, you should look a little more like Jesus today than you did 12 months ago. Than you did 24 months ago. Than you did 36 months ago. And if you don't, you need to be asking yourself, why? The Holy Spirit will change you. The Holy Spirit gives evidence to salvation. There's that internal evidence that helps us to feel more like Jesus. And there's the external evidence, right? And then let's not miss this. The Holy Spirit's also given us this word that gives us objective evidence. Objective evidence. There will be days, dark days in your life when you don't feel like you belong to Jesus. There will be dark days in your life when you can't see evidence that you belong to Jesus. Folks, it's in those days that it is the Holy Spirit's gift of God's word that gives us objective evidence. That if we have called upon the name of the Lord, He has saved us and if he has saved us then he will keep us and if he is going to keep us he will never ever let us go one of the reasons that excuse me that baptism is such an important marker in the lives of believers is this we want people when those days of doubt come to be able to look back to signposts in their life right And when we commit to baptizing somebody, when we as a church body witness that together and give evidence that we believe that God has actually done a work of salvation in the soul of a human being, then what we we can do is we run back to that day of our baptism and say, you know what? 
It's not just how I feel. Once upon a time, other people agreed with what God was doing in my life, and I can remember the day. This is why we're very hesitant to baptize very young children. Right? There have been times when I felt confident that God had actually saved a child at a very, very young age. One of the things that we talk to parents about, we want to make sure that their baptism is done at a time when a child is old enough and mature enough to remember it. Because as I read to you, that baptism doesn't save us. It's a sign to the world that we belong to Jesus. I need to make sure that when a child is baptized, that they're old enough to remember it. Folks, there's not many things more heartbreaking than to have a 26-year-old in my office who's wrestling with whether or not they belong to Jesus because they can't remember the process. Listen, we've got a responsibility as parents and as a church to make sure that we're raising our children up and investing in them heavily so they understand. All right, but the Holy Spirit does those things. So we've got the internal evidence, we've got the external evidence, and then we've got the objective evidence that the Holy Spirit's given us. And don't forget this, this book was given to us by God's Holy Spirit. All right, so the Holy Spirit gives evidence of salvation. The second thing the Holy Spirit does this morning, the Holy Spirit brings unity. Now this is where we're going to get back into why did the apostles send Peter and John to investigate? You can go back and you can see that when, uh, when the Holy Spirit broke, or excuse me, when the church broke loose in a couple other places, um, it's not like they sent anybody. Okay, when, when they went down and, and some things are going well, you can look back and, and see that we didn't, we didn't send anybody to these other places. Why in the world would we send them to Samaria? Why? Well, I think there's several reasons. Uh, we don't know for sure, but keep in mind this is Samaria. Samaria is strange. Everywhere else that the Holy Spirit had gone, that the, the church had spread, these were Jews who were being saved. These were uh, folks that belonged to the Jewish tradition. These were Hebrew Israelites. They were being saved as the gospel invaded. When we get to Samaria, things are a little bit different. This is a mixture of people. These people sort of had a, a, a mixing of religious belief. It was sort of Hebrew religion, sort of not Hebrew religion. It was sort of syncretistic in a lot of ways. And there was all the ethnic issues going on right there. Remember, there was what we would today call racism that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so when the Jews, uh, when the apostles in Jerusalem get word that the gospel is going forth in Samaria, I suspect that they were a little bit curious, maybe a little concerned. What's actually going on? Is this actually the gospel that's being preached? Or is this another form of syncretism? Now, look, there's a long history of Christianity working in Samaria. How far does it go back? All the way to Jesus, remember? He meets with a Samaritan woman at the well. And he says, don't worry. The one you've met is the one you've been looking for. Everything's going to be okay. Now, We've got them going. They got there. And it was obvious the people had not received the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been in the church for more than just a few months, this is a little bit confusing for you. Right? Because we believe, I preach my whole life, that the Holy Spirit comes upon a person and enters a person's soul the moment that they are saved. And yet here we have, in Acts chapter 8, a scenario where people have called on the name of the Lord Jesus and been baptized, and yet they have not received the Holy Spirit. Why? Pentecostals and Catholics believe it's necessary that a person has a second blessing of the Holy Spirit. Folks, I don't believe that's true at all. And I don't believe that's true at all primarily because all the way back in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Paul said this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I said Paul. I meant Peter. Sorry, Paul's not even saved yet. We're going to get there. Understand that this same Peter 
who is going down and whom God is going to use to bless these people with the Holy Spirit. This same Peter had just preached and said to the people in Jerusalem, when you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Why then had these people not received the Holy Spirit? (coughs) I believe it's because the Holy Spirit of God. And keep in mind, when we speak of the Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this is a Trinitarian understanding of God. So when I speak of the Holy Spirit, it's not as though the Holy Spirit was working in opposition to or a free will separated from the Father and the Son. This is one mind working together in a, in, a, in a complicated understanding of the Trinity. Do you know who understands the Trinity better than anybody? It's like six-year-olds. And the reason they do is because their faith is not tainted. We, we can tell them things and they just believe. And when they trust the Lord, they believe Him completely. And so they don't completely understand it all. Sloan was, Sloan's nine. Sloan was trying to explain to me the Trinity the other day. And y'all, I, he said something about the Trinity. And I'm, I'm honest and truly, I thought about, I, should I begin to smoke? I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to deal with the stress of this moment right now. Um, I didn't start smoking. But I mean, if you've ever tried to explain this to children, and, and he brings it up, and I was taking a deep breath, and I'm fixing to lay it all on the line for him. And he says, it's kind of like an egg, Daddy. And I was like, yeah, that's good. Yes, son, perfect. And, but not, and, and, and then he said, but it's not exactly like that because the egg is not really like the Trinity. And I, and, and, and I waited, and he seemed satisfied with that answer, and I was relatively satisfied with that answer, and I just left the room, you know? It was going to be really complicated. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit here, we're, we're not suggesting that the Holy Spirit's working all in opposition But what we do know is that the Holy Spirit hadn't come upon them. And I believe the reason is this. I believe it's because the Holy Spirit of God is a spirit of unity. Now, did I I mention to you, I did just a minute ago, that the Samaritans and the Jews had a whole lot of bad blood between them. They were already divided on religion. I believe that the reason that the Holy Spirit of God did not enter these believers in Samaria until Peter and John arrived was so that God could communicate to the early church in Jerusalem and the early church in Samaria and to the church throughout all the ages that there is unity in his church. That the apostles who had walked with Jesus, the apostles who had led the early church, those were the same apostles who were the apostles to the Samaritan church. There were not two religions here. There were not two churches here. There was one. The Holy Spirit of God showed that by waiting just a few days. The same Jesus who saved the apostles and the same Holy Spirit who was work in Jerusalem was at work among the believers in Samaria. There is a unity in the Holy Spirit. But y'all, what is this unity and how does it apply to us today? I think we can find the answer to that in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Let me read to you. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and the ordinance, that he might create in himself a new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us to God or both to God, in one body, through the cross, thereby bringing hostility to an end. This unity that we have is this. The first thing, we have common convictions about Christ. Christians should share common convictions about Christ. There may be some things that we don't always agree upon, 
But Christians, those who, call, who claim the name of Christ, should agree that he is the Son of God. That he was born of a virgin. That he lived 33 years of sinless perfection. That he died on a Roman cross. That he laid in a tomb for three days. And then he arose from that grave. And that he has ascended to the right hand of the Father today. And he lives forevermore, waiting until the day when he will return to make his kingdom his own. We might disagree about some other things about Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us what color his eyes were, how long his beard was. I have no idea what size shoe Jesus would have worn. I don't know what his diet was. I don't really know how engaged Jesus was as a carpenter. Was he a finished carpenter? I, I, I'm not sure. I don't know which portrayal of Jesus is more accurate. Was Jesus more serious and stern? Was Jesus uh, more fun and, 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 and vibrant? I, I, I tend to believe that there was sort of a middle ground there somewhere. That there were times when we see Jesus take up a whip. That probably wasn't a fun Jesus. But he was still invited to the wedding party. That was probably a pretty fun Jesus. But the reality is that we might disagree about some of those things, but there's got to be a common unity. And the Holy Spirit brings us that because the Holy Spirit teaches us. There's got to be common convictions, and we should share a common conviction about Christ. We should share common confidence in Christ. What is the common confidence that all Christians should share? That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that He can save as He promised. We should share the common confidence that He will one day return again. There should be a confidence that we have. And finally, Christians should share a common care for one another. The, a common care. The Holy Spirit should do this for us. The Holy Spirit of God brings unity to His church. You can rest assured when there is strife and division, Christians somewhere are not surrendered to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. You can rest assured when there is strife and division, Christians somewhere are not surrendered to the Holy Spirit. If you're active in a church filled with strife and division, one of the first things you should do is look in the mirror and ask whether or not I've surrendered myself to the Holy Spirit of God. If you're bringing strife and division, you should ask yourself whether you've surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, everybody who ever brought Division and strife in a church thought that they were Jesus with a whip driving people out of the temple. Nobody ever thinks that they're the ones in the temple that Jesus was driving out. Why? Because we're always the hero of every story. Y'all have always been David, but none of you have ever been Goliath. We've always been the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. We've never been the ones heating it. It's really easy for us to see ourselves as the savior of the story and really difficult for us to contemplate that we may actually be Simon the magician. Christians should share common care for one another and our common care for one another should affect and impact the way that we, that we speak to and interact with each other. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should be regularly working to grind off the rough edges of our speech and our actions. So that even when as believers we disagree, we work as diligently as we can to disagree agreeably. And when I've been disagreed with, that I respond as diligently as I can, as agreeably as possible. Because the Holy Spirit of God is a spirit of unity. In fact, when there's strife and division, 
The reason is usually that people are more concerned with their own desires than they are with serving Christ and the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to our third point. The Holy Spirit points toward Christ. The Westminster Confession and later the Baptist Confessions, Philadelphia Confessions said, if the chief, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Listen to me, if, if, if the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, then the chief end of God is also to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Does that make sense to you? See, if, if our primary purpose is to glorify God, if God points the glory anywhere else, God is an idolater. The glory has to be toward the greatest of all possible beings, and that is the God of the Bible. So the Holy Spirit of God is always pointing back toward Christ. John 15, 26. When the Helper comes, the Helper. That's another word for the Holy Spirit. That Greek word is a great one. Y'all want to learn a good Greek word today? Paraclete. You like that? Y'all hang on to that one. It means helper. Like a paraclete will help you not fall down. Maybe. No? Okay. All right. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. If you've got a red-letter Bible, those letters are in red. And if yours is black letters, it's still the same thing. Jesus said those words. He says, when this Helper comes. Now, this is the Helper that they promised. The Gospels promised. Acts chapter 1 promises, right? The Holy Spirit is going to show up. The Holy Spirit's going to do a lot of things. Jesus also says he's going to bring to remembrance all the things that I've said. But watch, right here in John 15, 26, when he comes, he will bear witness about me. We keep reading. So we've got that they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the hands, or excuse me, through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Folks, you know, there's controversy. Did, did, was Simon a believer or not? I don't believe he was. I believe that Simon had been baptized in the name of Jesus, but Simon had never given his life to Jesus. And, and, and I believe that because Peter's response was pretty sharp. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. It appears as though Simon saw his salvation as an opportunity to make a buck or to earn prominence or prestige. And so when somebody came along that did something even greater than Philip, Simon reached into his back pocket and he pulled out his wallet and he says, Hey, what's it going to cost me to get that, that gig right now? I'm Simon who is called great. And they'll call me greater if I can do that. Peter had some pretty sharp words. Listen to me. Simon wanted the Holy Spirit so that he could benefit financially or through power and prestige. He wanted... The power to give the Holy Spirit. He didn't want to glorify God. He wanted to glorify himself. People who are consumed by the Holy Spirit are not using the Holy Spirit to draw attention to themselves or gain power. People who are consumed by the Holy Spirit are consumed by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever seen somebody just lost in, in a task. So, somebody that just gets completely consumed in doing something, right? 
Um, I, I, I've seen my kids do it. I, I've done it. You've been in that place where you, you kind of find yourself in a sweet spot. You're in a zone. You're getting some work done. And people are trying to talk to you, and, and you don't even hear them. It didn't even register that anybody was speaking to you. Because you were, you were just so focused. You were consumed with the task. People that are consumed with the Holy Spirit of God, they've forgotten that they're supposed to be getting, that they're looking for some kind of glory or praise out of this because they're just so caught up. Hey, do you know what could happen if you did this? Go, well, what are you talking about right now? I'm just satisfied, privileged to be a part of what God's Holy Spirit is doing in me, through me, around me. The Holy Spirit of God points Toward Christ. Folks, if you see someone claiming to speak in the name of our Lord, but are pointing all of the attention back toward themselves, listen to me. You need to be asking lots and lots of questions. Because the Holy Spirit is always pointing back to Jesus. Simon said, let me have that. Peter said, you better get things straight. Now watch what Simon's response was. Watch. Verse 24, Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. The Holy Spirit gives evidence to salvation. The Holy Spirit brings unity and the Holy Spirit points toward Christ. But in conclusion this morning, I want you to know the Holy Spirit also convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit also convicts of sin. Peter spoke a sharp word to Simon. I'd like to believe, I can't prove this, but I'd like to believe that in that moment, Simon was convicted for his sin. Now watch. John 16, 8. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. See, it's difficult for us to paint the Holy Spirit into this box. Because the Holy Spirit is so active in the world. Yes, the Holy Spirit does bring evidence of salvation. The Holy Spirit brings unity and the Holy Spirit points toward Christ. But the Holy Spirit also convicts of sin. And so in this place, as Simon says, give it to me and he is rebuked. My hope and prayer is that in that moment, Simon was convicted of his sin. And folks, it's only when we experience the conviction of our sin... That we have the opportunity to be saved from our sin. Conviction. Brokenness. That's what the Holy Spirit brings. See, one of the greatest gifts the Holy Spirit gives to us is to break us down. To rip away our pride. To convict us of our sin. Simon was still living with his pride. I want that power. Peter said, as long as you're clinging to power, you can't have Jesus. Folks, this morning, morning, as we close, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit will change your life. When we pray, we pray to the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus. Now let me explain that. When you hear me pray, unless I've messed my words up standing in front of y'all, I pray 
to our Heavenly Father. I trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to infuse that prayer. And we close our prayers in the name of Jesus Christ. Why do we do that? Not just because somebody taught you to do that at vacation Bible school or in preschool. We close our prayers in the name of Jesus because the only hope that we have for our prayers to make it into the throne room of God is for them to come through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's only Jesus that gives me access. And so I pray them in his name. But mercy, I'm also praying them in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit even sometimes offers prayers on our behalf when we don't know what we ought to pray. That the Holy Spirit intercedes with groanings. You ever been in that place where you came to the Lord, your heart was so hurt, God, I don't even know what to pray, and you just throw yourself upon Him and trust. And the Bible says that in those moments that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf, telling God what we wanted to say but couldn't figure out the words to get them out. What else does the Holy Spirit do? Saves you from your sin. He works through the blood of Jesus to convict you of your sin and to draw you into Christ. This morning, I want you to know that if you're here today, it's because the Holy Spirit had a plan for you to be here. The Holy Spirit had a plan for you to be here. Maybe you came to see somebody be baptized. Maybe you came with a friend. Maybe you just wandered in off the street. You're here because the Holy Spirit of God wants you to be here. And He wants you to be here. Apparently, for the words that I'm speaking and preaching to you today. And so I believe He, needs, he wants you to hear this. That without Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. That many of us, like Simon the Magician, have longed for power and prestige. That in our sin, we've wanted somebody to look at us. But all the while, Jesus is hanging on a cross. We've got to gaze at him. The only hope that we have. And so this morning... If the Holy Spirit has you here, perhaps he has you here to remind you that you belong to him. Maybe some of you need to hear that today. You've been out of church for a long time. You say, I don't, I don't see any evidence in my life. And today you need to run back to the objective truths of God's word. Say, so there was a time in my life when I know that I gave my life to Christ. And I know he saved me and I need to begin acting like that again today. I need to surrender my heart and soul, my will to Christ. Some of you may be here today and recognize that in your life you've not been a person who sought out unity, but instead you were bringing division all around you. And you need to be sold out to the Holy Spirit in such a way that you bring unity to the world around you. Some of you, some of you recognize that you've not ever pointed toward Jesus. Some of you recognize that as parents, you've not pointed your children toward Jesus. As individuals, you've not pointed yourself toward Christ. You've lived, you have lived and you are living your whole life all about you. All about what you want. All about what you need. Today needs to be the day that you say, Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I've lived for me long enough. Lord God, will you forgive me and save me? 
So that's the first group today. Here's the second. This is going to be kind of mean, so hold on. There are parents here today. There are parents here today who have sold your kids a bill of goods. You've taught them how to pursue the magic arts of Simon. Now, the, the magic of our world today doesn't look like the magic of his world. But you've gotten them involved in everything you could to help them get ahead in life, which is exactly what Simon was attempting to do. There's been all the sports and all the dance. There's been all the, the opportunities. You've pointed them toward everything the world says they need. But you've not pointed them toward Christ. And parents, listen to me. There's going to come a time when you're going to pull your wallet out. You're going to say, Pastor, I just want to do whatever I can to get them right. Whatever it takes. The counseling, the effort, the time. Parents, listen to me. Today needs to be the day that you put your foot down. You say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That we will stop being worried about what the world has to say. And our family will find our identity in Christ and in His church. Maybe Simon had the magic camp that all the people were sending their children to. Because he was a power called great. And look at how great he is. And all the people were brought in. They said, if we send him to the great camp... Then they get great at the great things of Simon and they can get the great scholarships to go to the great places and they'll be great. And Philip showed up. And the Holy Spirit of God showed up. And that which appeared to be so great was shown to be nothing but a cavernous hole that led to death and destruction. For far too long, the Church of Jesus Christ, the United States of America, has resisted the power of the Holy Spirit. For far too long, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've resisted the urging of the Spirit to speak truth. Because speaking truth is hard. Because speaking truth hurts feelings and upsets people. The truth is this. Speaking truth brings conviction. And that's one of the great gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us. So I stand before you today and I ask you once again, what does the Holy Spirit do? As Kevin comes, I'm going to give you this. The Holy Spirit gives you a chance today. A chance today to turn from your sin and turn toward Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit has done for you today. Today can be the day. That you walk away from your personal desires and ambitions and gains. That you turn from your sin and your shame and you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's giving you that opportunity. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to challenge you to come forward. We baptized a brother this morning that came forward a few months ago and said, I need that Jesus. What's keeping you? What's holding you back? So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. 
There's some parents and grandparents here today. Adult leaders, perhaps. It's time that you stopped resisting the Holy Spirit. Stopped buying the lies of the world. Today needs to be the day that you put a stake in the ground and say, my priorities for my children is Jesus Christ and His church. And I'll be honest with you, some of you probably, maybe, maybe many of us today, need to make the kind of statement that we'll never forget. Some of you probably need to come today and lay those burdens down before the Lord. Pray the Lord will give you courage to go home and look at your children and say, I have led you in the world's ways. And I've led you to become really great at your sport or your activity or your hobby. But in so doing, I have robbed you of relationships with your church family. And I've deprived you of the important things that matter for your spiritual walk. And I have led you to believe that that was more valuable than being committed to your local church. And I have sinned against you and today it will change. Do you mean that, Pastor Craig? I mean that you had better be more concerned for your children's eternal soul than you are for the accolades that this world can give. Today, as we stand and sing, would you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life? Would you surrender to God's will? Today can be the day of your salvation. Like all the other Samaritans, today can be the day that you walk away from the power that you believe to be great and you experience the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand with me as we pray. Father God in heaven, I pray that you would move among us. Forgive us for the ways that we've resisted your Holy Spirit. Give us courage to trust you completely. Work among us in Jesus' name. Amen.